Hi everyone, uh, Ian Benjamin, Digital Hub, and today delighted to have a guest, uh, Amanda Toussaint, and who is, let me just tell you a bit about Amanda, let's kick this off. So Amanda, she grew up in Leicester, um, graduated from the Manchester Metropolitan University with a BA uh, Business Administration, um, a very, very down-to-earth individual, um, hard-working professional female, um, who's carved out a solid career um, in the change management sector and just worked for prestigious brands and companies and held senior roles uh, where she's been accountable for making a difference, making change reality a reality. And uh, all of her roles um, have been with tier one firms such as Selfridges, uh, River Island, Boots. So from a change perspective, uh, her skill set lends itself very well to, to the retail or e-tail sector as it were. And um, however, her current contract um, is, is with Acom, um, who I believe are the one of the giants within the technology and, and infrastructure sector. So, um, Amanda, welcome. Thank you for uh, being a guest on Digital Hub. Thanks for having me. You are Great very to be welcome. Here. The pleasure is all mine. So, but I want to kind of kick things off because I actually um, there's a gentleman who we both know, a guy called Philip Saul, and uh, I know that. I know Philip and Philip knows you as well. And he has some lovely, lovely words to say about you from a professional point of view as well as a personal point of view. So let me just kind of give our listeners and viewers a, a taste of what Mr. Saul had to say. So Philip says, I worked with Amanda at River Island as part of the wider tech digital transformation program. Uh, Amanda was assigned as a change manager to an extremely complex and critical EPOS, again, retail rollout program headed up by myself. The complex changes in systems and processes had to be landed uh, to all staff across 280 stores in the UK and Ireland and involved changes in ways of working for thousands. And that, the thought of that kind of gives me a headache. But um, Amanda quickly devised an effective change plan involving training materials, clear communication, a feedback loop to give staff and directors or from directors to the shop floor the reassurance and confidence of the changes implemented in their stores. Without her dedication and leadership, I have no doubt there would have been a significant disruption to, to, to trade. I mean, that would be probably me doing it. Uh, but anyway, so I worked with many change managers and I can earnestly say Amanda is one of the best I have come across. So, boom. Bless well, what do you say about that, eh? That, that's really nice to hear. And to be fair, he did tell me that. He was very nice. You don't always hear when you're in a contract role how you've performed. You just kind of get the, res the results of it. But yeah, it's always nice to hear good things about yourself. Superb. I but he's a lovely guy, Philip, as well. Yeah, and he is. he's a hardworking guy. So for him yeah. to say that about somebody, he wouldn't just say, as he said, he wouldn't say just for the sake of it. So uh... Yeah, and he was one of the best I worked with too. As a leader, he was very calm, very, um, you know, really great at engaging his stakeholders, kept everybody on side. And, you know, when, when the crazy was happening, you know, sometimes a leader can dictate the atmosphere for the rest of the team. And yeah. he was always like calm, collective, solution focused and say, okay, this has happened, what are we going to do? So yeah, you always yeah. felt like he was in safe hands with Phil. So Definitely. That, well, he's super really smooth nice as well. And he's yeah. so chilled and super smooth, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. when I spoke to him, because he was a guest as well, and the way he articulated situations or scenarios he'd been through, um, and I, a five-year-old kid can understand it, it was just so yeah good at articulating said scenarios so i can imagine them being being great to work with yeah Super. definitely but uh, amanda let, let's dive into it let's dive into it um we've got so much to talk about and you know buzzy personality from you and uh, i think it's going to be a really really good podcast 
So I, I know that just for speaking to you before, you, you kind of started out um, in HR and um, then you kind of got into the, to, to, to the L&D learning and development side of things. And um, so how did you kind of, how did that flip from HR to change and, and, and spell on such a big scale as well? <laughs> Yeah, I I think for me, I had always, yeah, I started my career in learning and development, really. That was the part of HR that really excited me, but employment law, all of that kind of stuff was not really my thing. Um, so I was always keen on people development and how you help people change and develop themselves. Um, and I guess what, why I kind of got into change management is that I, I think I realised really early on that before to enable people to learn something, so if you're taking them from their day job, bringing them to a training environment, kind of give them some new information, that was often all these other things that needed to happen beforehand. Otherwise, especially when things are changing, where you're changing people's roles or expecting them to do something more than they were doing yesterday. Yeah, um, what, what would happen is, the face, right? Yeah, what would happen is people turn up kind of disgruntled, frustrated, and we'd spend half of our time helping them figure out why we're changing, what we're changing for, what this really means for them, rather than actually doing the job we were supposed to be doing, which was training them. So I think right. when I had those experiences on a numerous occasions, I found myself doing more and more things that weren't really an L&D partner's role. You know, and sometimes my management would say, why are you doing that for? You know, that's not really your job. But I'd recognise for me and my team to deliver, we had to do all these other things first, or I'd have to encourage people to do things first. Right. And that's kind of how it happened. I really, I always worked with IT for whatever reason. I always inherited IT departments, probably because I'd done it a few times. From and a HR perspective, them, you were yeah, giving like H- IT stuff. Yeah. So from a <laughs> HR perspective, I understood the lingo. I think lots of, lots of HR professionals don't always love working in IT. Sometimes sure. it's, you know, it's male dominated, which can sometimes, you know, HR can often be quite female dominated. You find, you know, there's, it can be there's different cultures and i guess those two worlds don't always come together soon. right no no but i think yeah. because i kind of got comfortable in both worlds i think i kept inheriting it departments yeah and then so, you get used to the lingo you get used to the way they work you understand how it works and so it was it then became easy to make that leap to just right, jump gotcha. into the opposite side and then I suppose from a change perspective, especially from a digital transformation perspective where change is involved, having the IT knowledge and understanding the lingo and how it works, I mean, that, that kind of helped because technology forms such a big part of change. So did that yeah. help kind of like break down those change, get into that change sector? Did it help? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, IT is often leading the way in some ways, in the mm. UK at least, in terms of change management, because I think IT departments recognise quite quickly that you could throw a bit of technology at people and hope that they would adopt it. Because what yeah. you'd find is just have a piece of kit that's not being used. So right. I think IT was probably one of those areas that really realised, oh, we need to do something more than just give people new technology and hope that they use it, because otherwise you don't get any return on investment. And right. so I think that's how it was useful for me to move into change, because I understood the lingo, I understood a lot of what change management about is about is the fundamentals of it is learning about helping people move from where they are today to this new yeah place. new way and of doing so, things yeah so there was lots of transferable skills and so i by default had acquired all these things that just made me almost ready to do that role and plus i love change i mean i am a bit of a change junkie myself but I'm, i think if you cut me in half it would say continuous improvement and which is kind of what change is all about gotcha gotcha and then and then so from Looking at your uh, CV and LinkedIn profile, I think was it was it Boots? Was was that your first 
so like main main major sort of like chain yeah. gig as it were yeah i mean in boots it was really it was changing from delivering projects in a waterfall style which is kind of the more traditional side of project delivery I and mean, we was moving to agile ways of working which was a really big change actually for people in boots because yeah. we had long established you know project Employees. managers been doing things for 15 20 years you know really expert, expert really competent and then you say put that all down and let me show you the new way um, so that was a big change journey for people and but actually a really interesting one and a really a one I really loved and really enjoyed actually because it was actually how do you help the organization adopt a whole different way of working and, and evolve and we, yeah and we all know how retail's changed I mean retail is now in this fast-paced you know technology is at the heart of online. retail now everything's yeah. online you know people use stores to collect their parcels rather than to shop most of the time these days or there's that kind of balance of the two so yep. retail can really transform itself. And so in order to be able to get things to market in a different way, in a speedier way, to get be more responsive, that's why we were implementing this agile way of working. But it was yeah, it was changing it across the organization and not just IT as well. Gotcha. So so do you feel as though um, that you are like a retail, that's your niche specialism, would you say? Because now you're working with ACOM, which is like infrastructure, but I mean so but several gigs you had, it was in River Island. Uh, yeah. Ladbrokes, I mean, so I've got that sort of retail-y Yeah, I, I mean, definitely. I think I, I think I kept getting recruited because I had a retail awareness and retail has a different way of operating, different way of communicating with people. You know, they're not sitting behind PCs with laptops or with keyboards that you can communicate and send them emails. You know, in retail, just getting a message to a shop floor employee is a very different method than you right. would employ if you've got you know, like I am working in Acom where you can send an email and people can pick it up that way. So I think people appreciate, often retailers like people who have a retail background because you can get the ground running, you, you get the way that they work, the pace in which people work and how these kind of organisations are structured. Um, but I was also really conscious before I took the job at Acom that I was becoming a retail change manager, if that makes sense. Yep. And so I was like, you know, I, I can do more. I can't, I'm not only retail. <laughs> so I was kind of intentional about picking a role that wasn't technology focused, which is the role I'm doing now. It's not about technology. It's about people and ways of working. And it's not and retail. All, and it's not retail. So I, it was like tick, tick um, when I got, you know, got that gig kind of thing because it was kind of ticking my boxes in terms Superb. of, you know, something that's an interest. Okay, well, that leads me on to the next one. So tell me a bit about Acom. So when did, how, how did you get that gig? How did you kind of handle that land? And did you get reached out to by Headhunter? Or was it, um, how did it typically work? Is it through a, a program director that you, that you previously worked with that said, do you know what? I know the perfect person for this gig is going to be Amanda. Or how did it come about? It's kind of all of the above, to be fair. So yeah. it depends on the role. Sometimes people go, oh, I know somebody. And they'll say, Amanda, right, you know, there's a job going at my place or there's a role that I think would be perfect for. Uh, do you want to come and talk to us about it? So that happens sometimes. But actually, in this particular instance, it was actually an agency that kind of reached out to me who had seen my profile uh, and literally just approached me about the role. And then obviously I went through the process of, you know, the hiring process. The people. Yeah, the hiring process. And, and the what was that like? What was that like for the hiring process? How many stages were involved in that out of interest? It was quite straightforward. I mean, I think I had conversations with the agents for a while. So I think they was kind of doing a bit of initial vetting as they do. And then I really had one interview with my now sort of, I guess, my direct line manager kind of thing. 
Um, and yeah, I think we hit it off quite instantly. I think she recognised, I think for them, I think change management is still a bit new kind of thing in that organisation. Um, so I think they had had comms people before, but I think they recognised the piece of work that I was going to be doing needed to be much more change. It was a, a change piece. Yeah, so, to make a change. Yeah, yeah, to make a big change. So actually, we had a good conversation. I think it was, you know, it was quite an informal kind of conversation. But at the end of that, it was like, yeah, I kind of heard almost instantly that I had the role. Right, super, fantastic. So when you got that position, were you working previously? Because I know you were working uh, at Selfridges. So, or did it kind of like, did that Selfridges gig finish and then you went into the Acom role? Yeah, so yeah, so the Selfridges gig finished like December time and I didn't start the role with Acom until March. And so there was a bit of time out um, and I deliberately took some time out because to be fair, it had been full on and got the, got the Selfridges to sort of the pilot of the, of the big kind of rollout. And then that was my kind of swan song kind of thing. Right. So I took some time off, had Christmas, had a new kitchen. So I was like entertaining the family, had a bit of time out. And then my daughter was doing their A-levels as well. So I just wanted to be around a little bit more. And then obviously the world of COVID happened. Yeah, so no, yeah, yeah. That all just threw everything a little bit out. And then we had IR35 and a whole load of things that were going on. So yeah, I mean, I secured this, uh, this particular gig. And then, yeah, it was time to get moving again. I thought, okay, I need to find a role there. That's no, really, really good. Really, really good gig. Really good gig. Now, so, uh, I mean, just want to kind of talk about something that's kind of quite, um, I know that you care a lot about. It's very, very current right now as well. But in terms of, um, of obviously, COVID, um, how that has, do you, have you experienced transformation or change being accelerated because of COVID in certain areas? I mean, or do you think with the current gig you're in now, has COVID um, accelerated certain elements of that change program more so than it would do if COVID didn't hadn't risen its ugly head as it were yeah I think for me at least I think one of the big things that the the pandemic has provided if that's the right word is this whole idea of presenteeism and how we change the way that we work so instantly when COVID happened you know I literally joined ACOM and was you know had a, I think I had about two or three days in the office. And I mean, I'm not going to be working from home anyway, to a certain degree. But it was literally here's your laptop, <laughs> don't come back, <laughs> like kind of thing, like don't come back in next week, see ya. <laughs> and so that was a whole new reality, and just even for me as a on my own personal level of you know suddenly trying to learn an organisation, trying to engage with my stakeholders, trying to you know figure out this very complex organisation with. The context of doing that remotely and all only vehicle i have to do that is through teams and conversation with people madness but i think mm. that's true for so many of us though ian like yeah. the world now is that most of us are doing this this is the new normal zoom is our new reality you know we have zoom parties to zoom meetings um, so definitely. i think for me there's definitely a how how is all i guess for me one as a change manager i guess the thing that's going around in my head is how do we engage our colleagues, engage staff, how do we work collaboratively, how do you share vision and strategy and how do you just keep people motivated in a world where management are so much more removed from their people. Definitely. And I guess for me that's a, that's a big area of interest and how, okay. how does work look in the future? So, so did that change, so when you got the obviously 
uh, speaking to the program director, program manager about your your gig with Acom, and this is the objective. You want to do, reach X, Y, Z by this time, blah, blah, blah. And then out of the blue, two weeks later, as you said, you know, or a couple of days later, you work from home. So did that change in terms of what the objective were? Because obviously, as you just mentioned, and we all living and breathing it now, we're living in a new world. So did that change? Because obviously when you got that initial objective, um, COVID wasn't around. So did it change? I mean, was it to, in terms of what you had to deliver? Yeah, I mean, what I had to deliver in the first place was kind of transformed by COVID because everyone's attention became the pandemic. So, you know, from... yeah. From the focus being actually, you know, working with a particular part of the business, it became almost working across the whole of the UK now, thinking about, okay, how do we manage communications? How do we keep... Wow, wow. So different offices have different requirements, like all sorts of things were happening all over the place. And so it became this quite reactive because we all were in that kind of reactive space. But That's what I mean. We actually just had to firefight almost about actually there's a new reality that we're all trying to deal with and we were sort of figuring out what's the best next move every single day like you so, talk about change this like, is almost I like, so the objective that you had you pretty much got it screwed up in a bit of paper threw it away yeah. so okay new sheet of paper do you know what i mean type of scenario yeah let's put that down you know <laughs> put, in the, put in the put in the file for now we might yeah. come back to that but right now it's all about this so yeah, I mean. it's all That's about I mean. the pandemic. So yeah, and now I guess we're now in a, a new reality of figuring out well, what what does an organisation look like post pandemic when yeah. it has to shrink in size somewhat. It has to think about you know what what does the future look like, and you know a lot of what Acom does, for example, is construction and infrastructure. So that's yeah. a you know how do we do that and what does I always think what do, what do offices look like going forward. You know what the cities look like going forward. So definitely, really big meaty questions that I think we that are, that at least are mulling around in my mind. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, I, th- I think I touched on that with you before about in terms of cities. We spoke about you know mm. lot of local businesses now becoming businesses that were in the city, for example, in London or in Leicester or wherever major cities. Uh, all the cafes are going to be sort of more rural regionalized, regionalized yeah. and uh, localized from local communities. Uh, like yeah. the Timpsons around the corner, and which has already started to happen. I think yeah. Timpsons has done a deal with Asda, and so they've got like little pop-up Timpsons, and that pretty much started on the off the back of COVID. So, yeah, totally transforming transforming how you and I live from a convenience perspective. Because if we're working in the city prior to COVID, we'd always pop into Timpsons or into you know wherever it was. But now we're going to have those on our doorstep. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? so, yeah. The whole concept of a 15 minute city sort of like you know how yeah. everything will be so close to you because you know we've seen it haven't we is it costco um costa coffee sorry should i say who yeah. have like closed down well i don't know like 350 stores or something they're saying so they are going to be closing um you know branches built you know who's going to costa now you know i can imagine yeah. you know the big swanky offices in the city where we've got all these costas strategically placed yeah. who's going there when barely those offices have got anyone in them that's right, so that's right i guess correct. we've got to figure out yeah we've got to figure out how you now do those things and then now I, i'd much prefer there'll be a coffee shop down the road yeah and i could go and grab a coffee whilst 100%. i'm sitting here at home definitely definitely it's really really bizarre it's just absolutely crazy that, that, you know you can peel back so many layers of this in terms of what this pandemic has caused it's just mm. it's never ending it's really, really never ending but that leads yeah. me on to like was he and i know something that's very very dear to you which is the the future of work yeah. And um, you're in a position where you see and breathe change. So future of work, um, you know, touching on the home, working from home type of scenario. 
how, I mean, what's your thoughts on from a, a mental well-being perspective? I mean, you know, I think there are individuals who maybe from the millennial sort of um, age gap who suggested mm. that working from home, which is amazing, I can work from home from April, whatever, um, which is a new way, way of life. And I think that particular age group are now thinking, do you know what? I want to go back to the office. Mm. And um, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I actually am quite surprised that actually the millennials um, and those young people in, in work are the ones that have probably suffered the hardest. Um, I, okay. It wouldn't have been the obvious uh, scenario. I'd have thought, you know, even when I was doing graduate recruitment way back when, um, you know, graduates was always obsessed with, you know, what's the work-life balance in your organisation? Yeah. You know, how, you know, health the dress code? Because they're all about, you know, you know, not being all formal and stuffy anymore and wanting this work-life balance. So I thought that, that that particular population would find it great working from home and they're tech savvy and, you know, they know how to use all the gadgets. Exactly. So they exactly would just adopt to it and, you know, be a swan song. It'd be easy for them. However, I think what I hadn't really appreciated and has become very true even in my current role is those young people are often living in shared accommodation. So, you know, they haven't got what we, you know, I can kit out and go and buy myself a desk and you know, get my two screens and all that kind of stuff. But they're yeah. actually trying to work off the kitchen table where <laughs> everybody else is. And they're probably in a flat with six other people, but they've only got four chairs at the table. Yeah. <laughs> all these kind of, all these kind of dynamics that I hadn't really appreciated. So that particular population, I think they find it quite hard. And they find it hard because they also rely on management and leadership around them to be coaching them to mentor them to help right. them develop because they're still in that very much that phase of their career where they're trying to progress and that has become harder it's not impossible but i think it's been harder to manage in an environment where it's remote and you have to be much more intentional about giving those people your time yeah so i think they've, they've struggled the most but actually for what probably is the you know people of my age people in their 40s and you know middle-aged folk I've actually found it probably easier in terms of the kit and being able to just find, you know, they've got an office at home and all that kind of stuff that makes it easy. I think the challenge for all of us, though, is the, the mental part of working from home, the, you know, the mental well-being and our well-being generally. Some yeah. people really do feed off working with others and being in that kind of space when they can collaborate. Definitely, and definitely. That's so not you, always available. So, I mean, do you think that... Um... Having a like fifty-fifty type of um, offering to the employees that you can come in two or three days a week uh, because th because some companies have seen that the financial benefits where like you know we were going to sign a new lease on a building so mm -hmm. why should we sign that lease now for another twenty thousand pounds a month or whatever it's going to cost for five years we can kind of like not sign that lease now we're going to save ourselves x amounts of hundreds of thousands yeah. of pounds so let's encourage our employees to to work from home and come into the office less so therefore we can reduce the office space yeah. um you know and also but i mean social distancing you know god forbid that we get a second wave but i mean i know that the as of today the 8th of september it's looking as though the, the numbers are creeping back up again and but mm. even getting into offices uh, from using the elevator social distancing um some buildings don't allow or that the, the physically isn't enough space Mm. in the elevator for more than one or two people and I think you and I touched on that before as well yeah um so all these things as well makes it you know harder for these young millennials if you like to to go into the office um yeah. because 
from a social distancing perspective, do you know what I mean, as well, so. Yeah, and I think there is, I think there's a kind of on a, a need, on a need basis. So I get, I guess lots of organisations, even speaking to other colleagues uh, and other people in you know, past and present kind of uh, peers, some organisations are making their office space available in some kind of structured way where you have to book space or pre, predetermine if you're going to be there on a given day so that they can manage the numbers and obviously maintain social distancing. But they're doing that because there is a, a need for some people to be in the office because they need it for when they've got kids at home or whatever, or they haven't got the kit and all that kind of stuff. So they need to be in the office. Yeah. But I think also that this, this whole idea of future of work is that we've got to figure out what we use offices for. And I don't think we're, I don't know if we will ever all go back to offices nine to five, Monday to Friday. But I do think there's still a need for an office, for a place for people to collaborate, a place yeah. to see your clients, a place to have that face-to-face you know, interaction and to build relationships. Totally. But I guess it's just how, what's that blend going to be? And yeah. if there is a blend, how you manage that? Because it's so much easier when everyone's working from home and we're all doing Zoom together, for example, yeah. or Microsoft Teams. But when some people are in the office and some people are on, online doing a meeting, it's always a bit, it's a bit more fractured. Definitely. So that's one of the beauties of like, um, I think there's been some research even like showing that, you know, people who previously were joining meetings virtually always felt a bit like the outsider to the meeting where the meeting was really happening. In the yeah, yeah. Where now, because we're all on the screen, nobody has that sense of, you know, alienation Being, or uh, yeah, exactly. the outsider anymore. Being an outcast. So, <laughs> but there's, there's, those are like practical things. How do we work that? If people yeah. are going to the office because they need to, how do we work that back into our ways of working? Is it that we just join meetings through Zoom even if we're in the office? I mean, there's so many variables yeah, that definitely. we have to think about. Is there going to be like a, like a national template that's going to be the standard that HR and works yeah. to, that the national standard of working from home, if you're this type of person in this type of role, means you should be coming in the office twice a week or whatever. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to pan out. It's just... And then there's cost. Like, you know, just being pragmatic. Yes, organisations might be closing their buildings, but then people will say, well, actually, at home, I haven't... I need two keyboards, a two screens, should I say. I need a, key, a new keyboard. I haven't got a desk. Are you paying for my Wi-Fi? I mean, there's some yeah. real... Like, who pays for the Wi-Fi then? I mean, it's slightly different when you're contracted because you're self-employed. But if I'm right. an employee and I'm paying for my Wi-Fi and oh I'm paying gosh. for extra... It's like... Who pays for these things? And I think these are questions that we haven't had to answer yet because we're still dealing with the pandemic. And yeah. so people have been more conscious to just worry about what they need Safety to worry about. Safety and the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, but I think people are going to, in the longer term, if you're going to say that I have a home working contract, well, what, what do I get with that? Because are you yeah. paying for my Wi-Fi? Are you paying my electricity bill? Or a fifth of it because you're having one fifth of my room? It's, it's going like, to be the same. Yeah, it's going to be the same as like where a company would pay for their sales reps, you know, mobile mm. phone bill. Um, but now, you know, paying for your Wi-Fi is going to become the norm, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you know, it's going to be just part of the normal sort of benefit that you get yeah. as, for signing up to a company. Really, really, really interesting. There's, there's so many things to think about from like technology and the kit that you give people. But also, I guess for me, it's also that other side, which is the emotional well-being. And how do you motivate, engage your people? How do you, you know, from a change perspective, how do you know that they are adopting the change when it's so much more remote? We're going to have to find new ways of measuring it, measuring and monitoring, you know, engagement and adoption. So these are all things that I guess I sit down thinking, well, how, how do I do that? Like yeah. I'm having to learn on the job because we're all having to learn on the job. But, so is that part yeah. of your role now? Kind of like putting those things in place? Because obviously you're going through a change. Thing. So is that kind of like, 
Yeah, I guess for me now, even like, you know, how do we communicate and engage with our colleagues? Like, how do we do that in the current world? And I don't think anyone really has the answers yet because none of us have lived through a pandemic. No. So I guess for me, a part of that is how do you build in at least those, those measuring, monitoring checkpoints yeah. to say, how do we adapt to what we're doing based on feedback and what we're hearing people say? Because we can't make some grand assumptions about what people find useful because like we just said, some, some communities are surprises, like the young people who are actually finding this quite challenging yeah. wasn't probably something we would have predicted, but it's no. actually a fact. They're so, thinking, like, like, yeah, I'll be at home, play my, play my yeah. P, P, PS4 or whatever. And, yeah, in my, in my PJs or whatever. But yeah, we've got, so we've got to figure out, you know, so I think organisations have to figure out how they're going to do this. Superb. Okay, interesting. Really, really interesting. Okay, cool. So one of your, um, how can I say, it's not even a side hustle, because it's not even something that you're doing from within your heart, if you like, um, but your, your, um, your, your Beam project, can you tell us a bit about that in terms of what you've done? I mean, how I just, for the listeners and viewers, um, Amanda started an organisation, Beam, uh, which is about change and careers and developments of individuals. I mean, and something that you've started within the last year. Can you tell us a bit about that and what it's all about, what the objectives are, how you're growing it, how do you get engaged in it, and what sort of, you know, tell us a bit about Beam. In Give us a two-minute Elevate pitch on <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's a relatively new initiative. We started back in sort of February, March time. Um, and what Beam's all about is really our strap line is about enabling black excellence. So what we're really conscious of is a group of black professionals. How do we um, support each other? How do we leverage the skills that we've got? So that's for networking, that's for collaboration, and that's for learning. So Beam's very much about how do we help each other gain a, a broader portfolio of skills, but also how do we help each other in terms of collaborating with each other and partnerships where they are. So some strategic partnerships or you know, business benefit kind of thing. And okay. I suppose, that, yeah, that's at the heart of what we're trying to do. Where did so that come really, from? What? I guess in the pandemic, well, it's, it was prior to you know, the whole Black yeah. Lives Matter. It was prior to that, but I think we all recognized um, that actually there's probably just, we probably just need to be better at connecting, better at kind of, you know, I don't know, equipping each other. We've all got skills to bring to the table. We've all got things that we're great at. It's that same informal thing that we do. Oh, I know somebody with a change manager. I know somebody who's an agile coach. I know somebody who works with right. CMO. So how do we just formalize that? And actually, based on all of the skills that we collectively have, how do we give something back? Um, right. And how do we help others who... You know, often you get people saying, well, how did you get into IT? Or how did you get into right. change? Or how do you start working for yourself? And so I think we all heard those questions on numerous occasions and thought, we should probably do something to show people it's not Fair some place, magic. Yeah. It's not magic. It's just, Brilliant. this is how you do and, it. And you're promoting this through, obviously, through LinkedIn, different events you're putting on and getting yeah. speakers and stuff to kind of like, to, how can I hate, say, welcome individuals that are interested in their particular in that speaker's niche yeah. profession perhaps so, yeah so we have um a webinar that we usually do a wednesday webinar where we're talking about you know our next one is actually on podcasting um uh, uh, right. that is happening tomorrow That's... but we have we have a wednesday webinar where an expert so to speak will share some you know knowledge on whatever their area of expertise is and those happen and those are free um so you can join those through cool. Eventbrite. 
And yeah. then we also have um, what we call our BEAM Symposium. So we had the first one um, in August and the next one's going to be happening in November. And that's where we get no normally a group of guest speakers, you know, quite quality people to come along and talk about a particular topic. Um, so, our last one was about creating the future we want. So what does that look like? What do we do as the... Black where, where was community? that held? Was it online or did you do it yeah, online? Yeah, virtually. I mean, yeah, who yeah. knows? In the future, we might go back into, into, into venues. Can you imagine? But at the moment, at the moment it's online. And yeah, 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 so the next one's probably going to be online and it's November. I can't imagine where, you know, Boris is going to let us meet yeah, yeah, know, hundreds of people in, in a room by then. I don't know if anybody would want to. Um, exactly. so yeah, they're, they're online, so we have people joining from all over the world. Uh, Brilliant. And it's typically three hours, and we have a sort of meaty topic that we debate, break out, have chance to discuss in groups, and just kind of, you know, think about how we're going to do that in. I'm in. So yeah, you're, you're definitely in. You're 100%. In the next one. <laughs> Categorically. Well, you've got one tomorrow podcast, and I saw your promotion on it. Yeah. You saw your post last week. I think I liked it. So, yeah, without a doubt, I mean, you know, podcasting, I'm happy to kind of have a look and see if I can learn something. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm on we'll it. Join I'm on the it. Join the debate, at least. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I will be. I'll be there without a doubt. Fantastic. So, um, so how is how can the listeners and viewers, how can they get involved? How can they find Beam? So, B-E-A-M, and how, you know, what other... How can I access the information? Tell them. The so easy way, I guess, is our website. So we have a website. So you can find all the information about Beam on our website, which is Beam, beamagile.com. So all the information lives there. We also have quite a presence on Eventbrite. So all of those, um, you know, the, the Wednesday webinars that I discussed, all of those are promoted on um, Eventbrite. So you can book through there or book through our website. So, yeah, I mean, we're pretty present. And on social media, we're on all the typical channels, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, that, you know, you can find us everywhere. And if right. you just search Beam Agile, yeah. we'll, we'll appear. B-E-A-M, Agile, superb. Yep. And, and you're, you're, you're managing, you're, you're steering the ship, as it were? There's a team of us steering the ship, yeah. There's yeah. Uh, sort of six, seven of us that are steering the ship. Um, and we're kind of, yeah, we're the kind of people who've kind of got together and sort of brought this baby to life, as it Beautiful. were. But then Fantastic. we've got quite a, a big community of people now. So, yeah, I think we're near about 200 people or something who's in the group wow, already. Wow, wow, last... well done. It's only been a few months, isn't it, since, since yes. March? Yeah, no, honestly, man, the world done. It's amazing. And it's and so current, well, to start that. And then we obviously had the Joy Floyd situation and yeah. BLM, blah, blah, blah. So to start that prior to that as well, and I think maybe now with the current situation and hopefully equality, um, people waking up to the situation that, you know, that it will snowball the popularity of Beam. So, now, well done. Well yeah, done. That's, that's the aim. Kind of getting onto that. So, from a, um, a equality, Black Lives Matter, equality perspective, have you seen or, um, because for being in the industry, you're deep embedded into this, like, change sector. Have you seen or heard about much change from, like, the FTSE 100 companies in terms of what they're doing from an equality point of view, from a, a change equality perspective? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> da, 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 da. how do I say this? Okay, so I, uh, I think organisations, uh, I think organisations have recognised there's an issue now. I think, I think non-black people have now began, begun to realise when we as black folk have been saying, there's, there's, some, there's some issues here that we haven't been making it up. There is genuinely an experience that we live that they never experienced. You know, 100%. The, way, the way they get treated by the police, the way they get treated when they go into a shop. I, I mean, even in their own shop, I have been in Selfridges, working for Selfridges, 
and have but been buying products, Pat McGrath, which is a, like an expensive makeup line. And I, when I was buying that makeup line, had the security guard from Selfridges breathing down my neck as if I was about to steal something. It, and I work there. Like, I, like I, work, I work here. Well, you've got, so you got a lanyard around your neck as well, you probably like. like <laughs> Not at that time. But like, I, I probably, I, even if I did it, it probably wouldn't have seen it. But it's that, amazing, that, isn't it? that's the reality that I live in. Here I am doing this strategic work with Selfridges. And at the same time, your security guard thinks I'm a thief. So it's, it's just the reality of your life sometimes that you just kind of like, Roll your eyes and think, please, not it's today. Insane. We shouldn't insane. be living like this, still. I mean, it's just absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, I think, you know, that we, we got, we just, we, as a black man, just take it as, as a norm and we shouldn't have to. Do you know what I mean? Now, yeah. people think, really? Do you, if you live, why do you live like that? I didn't realize. Well, because we just, you know, we, we just lived all our life like that. It's just, we just carry that with us all the time. And people yeah. are now thinking, oh my gosh. I'm you become yeah, tolerant, man. I think. You become uh, uh, tolerant yeah. in a in a sort of not always a healthy way, but you just don't accept that accept this is the reality you live in, and you kind of go, "Do I want to fight my battles, these battles every day?" And if I do, how am I perceived? Because actually, mm. what you get perceived as is the angry black woman. You know, the, uh, uh, for example, an Italian woman can talk with the same passion, and she is passionate. But yeah. I talk with that passion, yeah. and I am angry. So if yeah. you recognise that you can't always fight every battle and, and how you have to do that, because I'm always very acutely aware, especially in the roles you're in, when you are one of the few black people at that level, therefore how, how you are judged is not just about, I'm not just representing myself. I mean, I feel sometimes I'm representing the masses, but the, the masses of black people who are going to come behind me, who everyone's judging, judging me on that, on that, on that basis. But I guess organisations are trying, I think what has happened and the positive that has come out in the pandemic and the race pandemic, as I call it, is that organisations have at least picked up their ears and are willing to have an honest conversation and and not coming with their defensiveness, recognising there's probably something here that we don't understand and are willing to at least listen. I guess the action that they now need to take is, is literally that, take some action. So I think mm. they're all you know, developing plans and figuring out what they need to do and talking to various BAME groups and all that kind of thing. But yeah. I guess what we want as a black community is just to see some action. Yeah, definitely. And, definitely. and some pra- practical steps taking place. Yeah. And I think well, that's the bit we're, we're waiting for. 100%. I mean, so, you know, C-level white individuals have to say, well, look, you know, somebody, this, is, this is real. The change needs to be made. And they need to sit their hands up and say, right, I'm going to be accountable to make a change in my industry. So all the hundreds of different industries, all hundreds of different sports that are out there, somebody within each of those segments needs of a white, um, from the white community needs to be accountable for change mm. in, in, their, in their sector. Um, yeah. Otherwise we're not gonna get change because the black people aren't in those sectors of position of power in most instances to, to do anything. So um, that's, that's how I see it. And I mean, you know, it's just, yeah, it, it's I think crazy. it's important. I think it's really important that, you know, it's not, this is not a black person's issue. You know, this isn't all on our, you know, when people say, what should we do to fix it? There is a part of me that has a bit of a wry smile that kind of thinks, I just want to be treated like you want to treat your child. Like, you know, I want my children to be able to be brought up in an environment where they're not being judged on the colour of their skin, that they Mm. can be happy and whole and have healthy lives and all the rest of it. So sometimes when people ask the question, like, well, what do you need to fix it? There's there's a part of me that says, I just want to be treated like a human, like like you are. It's hot. And it's hard to kind of, you know, systematically say, how did we break down you mm. know, years of oppression and figure out how we fix that overnight with, you know, one initiative in the workplace. 
So it's not it's not a tick box exercise. Nah, no, nah, it's not and like so, a magic wand type scenario, yeah. is it? Do you know what I mean? Not at all, not at all. But it's, it's both sides. I do think there is, um, you know, leadership in, uh, you know, white leadership in organisations have to take some responsibility and put some steps in place. Definitely. But I also think people yeah. like, I also think black people, especially if you have a platform or you're in a position, you also need to be able to feel comfortable. And I guess that's part of what we want to try and do at Beam, is feel comfortable enough to be actually to speak your truth and to yeah. be able to feel, you know, you're not the lone voice all the time. Because even sometimes it's just nice to hear, it's not only me, is it? Do you get this at your place or do you yeah. get this at your place? Well, well, I mean, you know, I, I never spoke about it before. I mean, it's given me the yeah. platform to speak. I've, I've never really raised it, you know, before, because as you, as you spoke about two minutes ago, it just became the norm and you just kind of like we carry it around with us. It's expected. Yeah. So I, I would have never speak about it in this much depth at all. Exactly. So, um, you know. And that's the positive, isn't it? That I think we all feel comfortable. Yeah. I think that almost, you know, the whole, you know, you can't breathe. I think for a long time, it's kind of like a mass trauma that you, you just take on board. My parents will say things like, you've got a good job, stay with it. Or, you know, don't rock the boat. You know, like, yeah, be safe. Yeah, you know, you've got a good job, don't worry about it. And you kind of, after a while, there's a part of you that's sort of, you have to figure out what that reality is for you. And actually having children, uh, you know, I have a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old, looking at them and thinking, you can't inherit this. This is yeah. not, like, I, I could, I'm not giving you this to, to be tolerated. So feeling like change has to come. Cause actually, I'm with you. You can't just say, okay, yeah. the next generation will take it on. Like, no, 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 no. There's some nah. It's been going on too long think... and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? So nah, man, I've got, I've got to do something definitely without a doubt. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Now we're going to get under the skin a bit more about Amanda. I'm trying to understand a bit about you. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me, what do you do? You know, you've got two kids. I mean, I've got two. I've got a 16-year-old and my daughter Lola just turned 13 on Sunday, actually. And um, so busy household yeah. here. Um, so I'm sure you're the same for what you're saying, a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old as well, is that yeah, right? We, yeah, we just had a 19th birthday on Saturday, so... Oh, really? Yeah. On the 5th? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent, fantastic. And so you've got, what, you've got one of each, boy or girl, or have you got... Boy and a girl, yeah. My oldest daughter is about to go off to university, so she's off to Manchester Uni, so keeping the Manchester faith alive. Um, <laughs> she's, uh, she's going to Manchester Uni to do uh, politics and French, and she leaves on the 19th of September, so yeah, I'm trying oh to... Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's not too far away. It's not too, not far, too away. far away. So yeah, it's a change. This is a, like a limp change experience now. Like I'm having to do my whole you know, the emotional side of change. Like I'm actually living <laughs> it as a parent. So yeah, that's yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah. Then my son has just gone back to school, which is another, again, a change in our house. Where we've yeah. gone back to the old, well, it's not even gone back to the old way. The whole school model has changed. Like he's yeah. in a certain area. You have to bring Definitely. a pack lunch. It's all, it's all changed. So Same yeah, thing. I mean, Same thing. Our, our household is changing. Is changing. But yes. yeah, I guess for me, I, you know, I love entertaining friends and family. That's kind of my thing. I love, I love cooking. Um, I love, okay. I've also loved going out for walks now. This pandemic has is escalated that. I was going to ask you about that. Finding nice little walks and going out and just chit-chatting away with whoever I'm walking with. Like Superb. now, that's my new normal. Like, if so you've you've actually, myself, so did you invest walk. in a nice pair of walking shoes in? Over, you've I've, actually... I've, got, I've got a few pairs of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few pairs of shoes. But Excellent. yeah, I've got, I've got my trainers out. I've got my trainers out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just been you know, another good thing that's come out of pandemic in terms of the change mm-hmm. that people are doing that. I mean, I started running as well. Um, and I mean, I'm a big piece of work. I don't know if you know, I'm nearly seven foot tall. So, and You're I said, nearly seven foot tall. Yeah, I'm six foot ten. Six foot ten, six foot, yeah, yeah. What? We can't tell if we're sitting down, obviously. But I know, yeah, yeah exactly. That's why I'm sitting down. If I stand up, I'd like wow, to get that up is here. tall. Yeah, massive, absolutely massive. It's in my jeans. Mum and dad are both tall. 
And yeah. um, but I mean, yeah, we're if tall I was, people. Yeah, if I was standing up, I'd have to get like a wide angle lens or something like that. But I mean, yeah, running on, <laughs> running on the, um, the bridal path behind me, I've done my knees in because I'm doing a bit of cycling yeah. as well, which I've never really done before in running. So, uh, so yeah, no, again, running as a six foot ten man is quite an achievement, I should say. Yeah, yeah, well, I had no choice in the matter. I had no choice in the matter. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, my dad's 6'6", six, six, mum's 5'10", initially. Um, they're obviously a bit short now, bless them, getting into their mid-80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my sister's 6'3", so yeah, I mean... It's, wow, uh, I thought yeah, we yeah. was tall. Like, my daughter's 5'11", I'm 5'10". I'm 5'10". Oh, my son is now 6'2", probably. Okay. And yeah, size 12 feet. So I thought we was big jeans, but 6'10". I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it, Massive. you win. <laughs> yeah, huge, really, really, yeah, yeah. I'm like uh, size 14 shoes. My son's oh. like size 12. He's six foot five. He's 16 and a half, 17 in February. So wow. I think he's pretty much, I think he's got a bit more growing to grow height-wise, but I think his feet have stopped, thank God. He plays <laughs> a lot of football. He can't get decent-sized football boots. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. but anyway, look, we digress. This is about you, not me. I uh, know, sorry. <laughs> well, that's, that, that just took me to a whole different place, six foot ten. Wow. Yeah, no, massive. I don't find massive. him that tall anymore. Than any, no, no, but, you know, it's, it's got good and bad. Good and bad traits. I hate ducking through doors and I hate not being able to drive certain cars. Apart from that, I'll just roll with it. Do you know what I mean? It's got mm. easier and easier as I got older because uh, you actually kind of growing through mid 20s, whatever. You can kind of be a bit self conscious sometimes, but mm. I mean, that's long gone. Uh, but I just embrace it now. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. always a bit of a um, bit of a talking subject without doubt, you know. But yeah, that's cool, right. superb. So outside of outside of Beam, um, you obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're cooking, you're running, etc. So Talk about cooking. So, could you mentioned earlier you got a new kitchen? Is that right? Relatively new, yeah. Last yeah, year yeah. was the last kitchen, year. so the first time, the first Christmas was in the kitchen last year, and so I had everyone over for Christmas dinner because it was I like bet. you know I had I had been my kitchen had been really manky for quite a few years. So <laughs> for you know all the rest of the house had been done up, but because this was going to be the extension, it was always like kind of put off, put off. So yeah, everybody yeah. was waiting for this kind of Christmas dinner because I would, I, I'd probably depleted all of my Christmas dinner offers like from everybody else in invites, you know, like, <laughs> it's yours for Christmas, you know, you can't take my kitchen. So yeah, everyone Excellent. was like, right, it's your turn now. So yeah, I had a good, I had, we had a good Christmas though. So yeah, I had a good old time. How many uh, people did you cook for? Did you cook for a lot of people? I think it was probably about 12 in the end. Right, okay, that's quite a lot of that, yeah. Crazy. It wasn't too crazy, that was okay. Yeah. Like octopus well, arms of, in the kitchen. I'm one of seven, so. You're used to it. Like, you know, that's quite a moderate number. Normally, there's like people in the twenties. Wow, one of seven, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so was it like um, in the growing up in the morning, um, growing up in the morning, queuing up for the bathroom was like hustle and bustle, a hype thing yeah. again, was it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, I'm the youngest, so I always got the cook. Oh. You know, like you have to wait last, and you have to <laughs> get everything last because everyone's shuffled, shuffled in before you. So yeah, oh. I'm used to it. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So, so what do you like cooking? Then, what's your favourite dish? West Indian uh, twang, twang to it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything has a West Indian twang because you just Super can't help but spice something up. You know, like, there's, there's no... Yeah. Even, I'm sure spaghetti bolognese is not, you know, it's not done yeah, this no, way that, in Italy. It, even my scrambled <laughs> eggs has got seasoning in it. Exactly. Even my scrambled eggs. You need to give it a little flavour. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah everything is, is a bit of a Caribbean twist. But I like cooking lots of things. I like fish dishes. I'm a bit of a fish fan. And my daughter's now decided she wants to be a vegetarian or, you know, plant-based more than just not full on vegetarian, not full on plant based, but kind of somewhere in between a vegetarian and plant based. That's a whole new right. Uh, activity That's a vegetarian to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Vegan ish a little bit. Yeah, sort of ish. So we're, we're trying to figure out how do you cook them, you know, how do you cook meals that don't have meat in for her? So that's a whole new challenge and still make them tasty. Like, I ain't got time to be making everybody some different dish. So we've got to figure <laughs> out 
how do we cook this and then we can no, I ain't got time for that we got to figure out how it all works in the whole but yeah so uh, but I like it at the same time it gives me a, a cooking challenge fantastic fantastic what's in your uh, your iTunes or your uh, Spotify now what are you listening to oh I'm a bit of an old school girl why so like 90s R&B oh or... so like um, Jill Scott yeah I love a bit of Jill Scott and like yeah I do yeah and the Maxwell and those kind of people but I also like uh, the more, like, you know, the Black Street and SWV as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I like it all. But um, to be okay. fair, also, my daughter's getting me into Afrobeats because she's always played it. And I'm like, what is this? What, who, who is this? Yeah, yeah I'm getting yeah. into a little bit of this. Well, actually, I'm a house guy. I love my house music. But there's an Afrobeats okay. guy called, um, there's a DJ called Black Coffee. And I, I, I don't know if you've heard of him. Ooh, okay, just, no. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, I'll tell you, amazing. Really, really good. Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, so she's always playing like, you know, we've got a big TV in the kitchen. So she's always got music on while she's, you know, doing chores or whatever. And I'm always like, who, who's this now? <laughs> and normally she's stealing my music and claiming it like, oh, I've, I've, you know, it's not a big deal. And so now I'm Brilliant. stealing her music. So See, making that not interested. Yeah, like it... I'm, I just go on to like, what's it called? Shazam or whatever and, and pick it up that way so I don't have to even ask her. So then I'm yeah. like, oh no, I've had this on Rages. Yeah, yeah, I've been playing for years. <laughs> Oh, no, Excellent. no, I heard this on the radio. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Love it. Love it. She's like, oh, my mum's pretty cool, man. My mum's pretty yeah. fly. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't need to ask her. Superb. Superb. So, uh, sports, into sports at all? You into sports? Not really, no. But Not you've really. Been... I like watching it. Like, I love watching basketball and stuff like that, but I don't really play any. I'm really quite, yeah. I've not been doing much okay. physical activity. But you must have grown up, obviously, house of seven kids. I mean, there must have been cricket played. I mean, mum, dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. My dad would have the cricket, watch the cricket, and have the radio on. So the volume would be down on the TV. Because the commentary oh, was on the radio, he would say. But yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. he wanted to see what was going on on the TV. So you'd come home from school and you'd hear the cricket. And it would be like that. <laughs> Just be like for weeks, isn't it? Like it's just on forever, it felt like. And you have no chance to, you know, in those days you had like a television. So yeah, the yeah, television yeah. was being hogged continuously by my dad for weeks while we watched, you know, the West Indies versus England. And that back in the day, but there's only like about one TV in a household. <laughs> yeah. There as well, and only about four channels. I mean, exactly. I, so you've been tortured and you just kind of rolling your eyes thinking, I want to watch you like kids' TV, which was on for about two hours in the evening, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Like from three to five, and that was your little slot. That was it, man. Done. Well, back my dad up in your room. that. Yeah, dog dad hugged all of that with yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Superb. So so when when you're entertaining your friend or whatever, do you know what I mean or even you you going out like mm. back in the day prior to COVID or um slowly getting reintroduced again in terms of social, what's your favourite tipple? I mean, um did you have like a little tipple? Like you kinda of like the, a little uh, tipple. Just a little one. Just a little brand uh, or something. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a vodka pineapple girl. I love yeah, vodka vodka pineapple yeah. now, yeah. I know it's not it's not very common, but I do like that. Okay. Um, I like vodka generally, so yeah, that that worked. I've sli- I started to get into gin. To be yes. fair, it was a River Island crowd that was trying to get me into gin because when we were in Shoreditch, which was one of our office locations, it was kind of a gin, yeah, a yeah, gin yeah. bar. And I was always a bit like, I don't do gin. Don't yeah, do me gin, too. But... I never used to like it that much. I never, well, never, even now, tried, never tried it. Yeah. yeah, but now with all these flavoured gins, I'm kind 100%, of into that. I 100%. Can do... I, I drink gin at least a couple times a week, and um, so yeah, without a doubt. And I put yeah. my put cucumber in it as well, if I can bother. Yeah, well, to be awesome fair, berries. The first, yeah, well, cucumbers. Then after, I did that for the first one or two. Then after that, I can't be bothered anymore. I just kind of like <laughs> you know, just knock them back, you knock them back. <laughs> start flowing down. I'm not I'm yeah. able to kind of slice it up anymore. Now, fantastic. Yeah. So, if you had a choice, Chanel or Gucci, what's your um, what's your what's your thing? What's your yeah? I don't really do the designer bag thing. I'm a bit too cheap. Really? I, just think, I, just no, I like I like I like quality. 
But I think there's a place where I like a nice leather bag or, you know, a good quality, well-made item. But there gets to a place where I'm, what, two grand for a handbag? I'm like, nah. it just seems rude. Like, there's to a point where it's an insult for us. Well, I, I should say I... that after working with Selfridges, but like, I'd be like going around like, you people got time to spend this kind of money on one, one key ring. Like, it's a key ring. <laughs> key ring. Yeah, like, it's 700 pounds. It's a key ring. Literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, no I'm not a designer girl. That's crazy. I'm not a designer girl. Absolutely crazy. Like, when I mentioned to you about the shoes, you know, you said, yeah, I've got a lot of shoes. I thought, oh, okay. When I get onto this question, you're going to be like, yeah, I've got, you know, a lot of boots, <laughs> you know. Yeah, That's but no, I'm not a designer. I like a nice, well-made item. I, yeah. I don't, and I don't really like wearing designer clothes either with you know the branding on I feel like I'm being labelled I don't want to be there with your Gucci stamp and your right. I prefer to wear something that people don't really know and it's quality just quality item yeah, just quality good okay cool and your best holiday I mean I'm, I know you like you like the sun right mm, yeah I mean we did have I mean I went to the Caribbean for the first time with my sisters and my mum last year I mean we've always been on we've never, never been on holiday just just Females. No children, no partners, no nobody. Just us. so that was really nice because we just had you know giggly fun time out, no responsibility for three whole weeks. Brilliant. So, yeah, that sport, was... All your cousins taking around to this bar and that and taking yeah. Yeah, we were out, you know, having a few tipples most nights. Uh, and then there's a big kind of um, a Creole festival that happens in Dominica every year. So oh, okay. there was. Yeah, they have all these artists that come, and yeah, it was great. It was great. So we had a whale of a time, and we said that's it. We need to do this more often now. Make yeah, sure yeah. that we carve out that sister time and just go off and have a great holiday. Got to be done. As soon as we get out of this blimming COVID scenario, and then we can kind of like yeah, tell me about it. Re- replan, replan something. Sunshine. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, Amanda, listen, this is pretty much it. We're pretty much done. It's just been great. Really, really buzzy oh. flows podcast and I mean we've got a bit of a platform I haven't got a massive following um it's growing weekly um but I mean is there anything that you want to say um about or anything you want to share with the listeners um of Digital Hub um now is your moment and I'd love to have you on again anyway but you know now is your moment for um this time anything I'd like to share I I guess I'm really passionate about Bean and obviously the work we're doing there so I'd encourage people to just follow us on obviously all of our social media and check out our, our uh, you know, website. I guess I'm just passionate about, as my career kind of shows, I think I'm passionate about developing people and, you know, making that change in people's lives. And so regardless of wherever I am, that, that's who I am. Wherever I go, I'm the person who's going to be going, okay, what next? How do you make it happen? Let's get it, let's get it moving. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, just follow us on those platforms. So I'm excited about what's going to come. And I think, yeah, I think it's a time for us, as a, at least as a black community, to figure out how do we work well together. We've, there's a lot of conversation about what we want organisations to do, but I think we also need to organise ourselves. Superb. Wonderful. We've been amazing guests, Amanda. Thanks a lot for that. And to anyone Thank listening you, or watching, um, you want to reach out to Amanda on LinkedIn. It's Amanda, then Tucson, spelled T-O-U-S-S. A-I-N-T, an amazing change manager, amazing human being, as you can see in here. And I'm delighted that she's on, on the Digital Hub. Uh, digital hub. I'm picking up your Northern accent. Digital Hub. Digital Hub. Digital Hub episode today with me. So um, amazing. Thanks a lot, Amanda. Yeah. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. We're going to have to get you into Beam as well. Yeah, <laughs> done. Consider it done. Consider it done. Okay. Thanks.